Previously on What Am Politics. Teddy Roosevelt was born. He punched cowboys in the face. His wife died. His brother died. His dad died. His mom died. But he also said fuck that and started climbing mountains and punching bears and becoming a cowboy and, and a politician and then and then he was in New York and he punched a whole load of New York policemen and then he was like, hey, don't be mean to the Jews or the blacks or the women. But he also had no problem with murdering millions of, Amer of American Indians because he was civilized. And if you want to hear this and more detailed stuff, go listen to the last episode. But you're not here to listen to the last episode. You're here to listen to this episode. So we'll take it up. <clears throat> Teddy was made Assistant Secretary of the Navy in the McKinley. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to leave space for the theme music. <laughs> Steve, tell me all about Teddy. Okay, uh, we are getting very close to him be actually being president, which is pretty good for a presidential <laughs> biography. So, yeah, that just shows you what an interesting dude he is. Mm -hmm. uh, he was Navy Secretary, Assistant Navy Secretary, not even the proper one, which uh, he was quite happy with because he, as we said, he wrote a book on Navy stuff and really thought that for America to have any kind of a swinging dick in the world needed a proper military. And he, <laughs> The swinginest dick. He, he thought that America America should take its place as a big imperial power like all the European dudes were doing at the time. Right. Um, good for America, not good for the people that they wanted to dominate. But anyway, um, I don't want to see, I don't want to keep on saying, but anyway, they let him away with these terrible imperialistic notions. But at the same time, uh, he did them. So we're going to mention them and we're going to carry Yeah. Them. We're uh, painting the portrait of a complicated, complex man. Exactly. So he liked war. He had no problem with the idea of war and going to war. He kind of thought that it was like social Darwinism. He thought that countries that went to war proved themselves to be strong and, and got... And therefore more, like, more deserving of... Yeah, the, of the rewards that came afterwards. Hmm. Uh, he thought that... You can't misspell rewards without war. <laughs> <laughs> Richie Nolan, Teddy Roosevelt's speechwriter. He thought that no, the European powers had no business coming over to the American hemisphere and getting involved in stuff. That was only for America to do the United States. They were the only white European descendant, English-speaking powers who had any right disturbing the wishes and wills of other countries in that area. So at the time, most of them were kind of gone. The British were still technically there in Canada, but Canada was largely independent, so that wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, the Americans had bought Alaska off Russia, so they were off the continent. Um, How much did they buy that for, by the way? Quite a lot at the time. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't like the, the equivalent of like, you know, to hear the stories where with, with inflation and everything, it was like a tenor. No, no, no. <laughs> it wasn't that No, it was like, I mean, it probably wasn't anything compared to what the natural resources it would turn out to have would be. Yeah, because it's huge oil country, isn't it? Yeah, old and, and gold, gold of the time as well. Wow. Um, but yeah, he, he, they, they got a good deal. It was kind of ridiculed at the time, but it turned out being worthwhile. And in terms of just getting Russia off the American continent, it was a good thing for America. Mm. Uh, so at the time, Spain were the only other power left and they dominated Cuba. Mm -hmm. That was like their last bastion of imperialism in the Americas. Cuba were, happened to just have an independence movement going on at the time. So a lot of the American imperialists seen that as a great opportunity to get involved with getting the Spanish out. Mm -hmm. The American, kind of like now, actually, it's never really gone away. But around that time, there were interventionist Americans who loved the idea of getting all imperial and conquering places and being big and tough. But there were also quite strongly, if not dominant, inclinations toward isolationism, which is like, no, we're America, we're different, we're something special. We shouldn't get involved in these silly wars that the Europeans are constantly getting themselves involved with. And we should just stay at home and concentrate on our own massive continent we have enough to play with here um, yeah we've killed all the indians and taken it all that'll be enough so <laughs> that's a fair enough thought process yeah sure i mean uh, but at the same time uh, yeah okay well yeah okay quick tangent so it does work but then at the same time these same people will use that ideology in world war ii to justify not getting involved with the war against nazis ah. so it works on both so it works in both ways yeah. So Roosevelt was not one of those isolationist um, goody two shoes. He had no problem with the idea of America getting it's getting involved in, in in different wars and taking stuff. So he didn't actually order it, but a U.S. Uh, warship was sent to Havana to hang around the, with the the express mission to keep an eye on American interest in Havana during the war between the Cubans and the Spanish. Uh, it was pretty dodgy, though. They shouldn't be there. And yeah, so it was just chilling out on the fringes. 
chilling out in the middle of a fan of a harbour like not on the fringes Uh (laughs) yeah it's like they sailed right in there and just moored off because it was oh don't mind us guys (laughs) it was close enough for a small boat to get out there and something happened and um, the the munitions cache exploded and the boat uh, exploded and all the sailors on it died a couple of hundred Americans died and the Spanish were immediately implicated and blamed for it (gasps) it hasn't improved what happened one way or the other it probably obviously if it hasn't improved by now it never will be but it probably was not the Spanish. They had no reason to provoke America to get involved. Mm-hmm. It, it may have been the Cubans trying to provoke the Americans to get involved on their behalf, or it easily could have been just a fault of the ship because for some stupid reason, they kept the guns and weapons beside the engine room, which was quite explosive in its own right. <laughs> so that for either of those reasons, the boat blew up. And then um, America... You think it was like someone with like OCD going, explosive things go with explosive things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, America... Suddenly, um, it looked like they were immediately going to go to war. It didn't. I mean, it happened a couple of weeks. Um, for some reason, though, the Secretary of the Navy and the President at the time they were isolationist, and the Secretary of the Navy, who was uh, Roosevelt's boss, thought it would be a good idea to take a week's holidays and leave Roosevelt in charge. Why not? Roosevelt immediately took that opportunity to send orders to the fleet um, to go to to the Philippines, which was another Spanish colony, and get ready to attack them if they need be, and also move a fuck ton of boats down to Cuba. So, so that, that was all on his own volition. On his like own volition. Was, he just sent the order. He was entitled to technically, but he shouldn't have done that. It was, right, it, okay. was it was pretty dodgy. And the, uh, sorry, I was going to say, I'm actually drinking a beer now to try and help with the second episode because Jesus Christ, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> I can take over and just make up stuff if you like. No, it's okay. Um, if you guys want to listen to then another- Then Teddy ep- went to space. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, spoilers. <laughs> so Teddy got the country ready for war and eventually the call for war was too strong for the isolationists to resist and America declared war. Now, here's one thing I do massively respect about Theodore. Even though- he was a terrible warmonger, which after two world wars in, in the last century and the and the capabilities of now the human race to blow itself up entirely with the press of a few buttons, we know is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, there is nothing worse than a politician who is a warmonger now getting their country involved in something and sending off hundreds of thousands of young men to die on their behalf from decisions they made. Teddy was not one of those guys. Once the war happened, he immediately quit his job in the government and said, I'm going to go to war. I'm setting up my own unit called the Rough Riders. (laughs) So he ordered a dozen spare spectacles, bought a whole load of horses. (laughs) Um, He he sent the word out. These are my war specs. (laughs) He sent the word out to all the dudes, uh, all the cowboys, uh, like anyone anyone who wanted to join this crazy regiment was allowed to. They were a a cavalry unit. Um, He had sheriffs, he had cowboys, he had Texas Rangers, he had Irish cops from NYC that became friends with him when he was there. What? He had random British aristocratic adventurers. What? He had the the two best polo players in the world. He had the American amateur tennis champion in his unit. What? Teddy's Avengers Assemble Actually they were called Teddy's Terrors Teddy's Terrors That's even better He um, thought He he was thinking about Taking over the unit himself But decided no I don't have any Practical military experience That would be inappropriate So he got like A token general To take over Who apparently was so old And he used to fight For the Confederates That he would forget That he was fighting The Spanish And sometime referred To getting those Yankees (laughs) (laughs) He eventually got injured in the war and Teddy did take over. Um, So. Oh my God, this is amazing. He organized. This is like a better version of the Justice League. Yeah, I know. He organized the unit. They were a cavalry, so everyone was supposed to have a horse. But when they were down in Florida waiting to go to the war in Cuba, he was told by the army organizers who hated him. They hated his guts. They thought he was a fucking crazy asshole who got them involved in a war they didn't want to join. And now they had to go organize all these shit for these crazy random dudes who he had organized into an army. So they. I mean, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, you know, give Teddy what he wants. They said, you have to go in the second wave. You're going to have to wait for this batch of boats to go over and come back he said fuck that he commandeered a boat with no order with no like justification um, he wasn't able to take most of the horses though um, that was one thing oh, okay. um, so most of the lads went over as like an infantry unit with a couple of horses so they immediately got stuck into the fray um, he was constantly told to not attack and would attack anyway they got ambushed by a whole load of Spaniards and ended up winning um, just through sheer force of will he he, he used to walk in front of, in the sight of snipers to try and convince his men that it was okay and they could stand up. He went to one, one private he seen hiding in the bushes and said, are you afraid to stand up when I'm riding around here on horseback? 
The private was inspired, stood up, immediately got shot in the head and died. <laughs> oh my God. He uh, kept on leading different charges. Eventually they led to like the, the climactic battle of the war in San Juan. Uh, so how did it work? He led a charge up a hill. Okay. Everyone was dying. He got hit in the elbow, but he was okay. They eventually took the hill after great losses um, and then just went on and took the next hill. Whoa. <laughs> just like charge and charge and charge. They scared the fuck out of the Spaniards and they fled and, and they won that battle. Um, he said that was the greatest day of my life. It was so much fun. The only thing he regretted was not receiving a more brutal wound. What? This guy is... He's kind of mental. He's not, he just, he's not just inspiring, but he's also kind of fucking mental. He's a bit off kilter, all right. Jesus. Um, I'm just imagining the sight of that bulldog of a man charging up a hill towards you. You shoot him in the elbow and he does not go down. All the men around him go down, though. Um, yeah. the, the Rough Riders uh, had the heaviest losses of any cavalry unit within the war. Mm. But his men his men loved him. They loved the fuck out of him. Because he was, he was, he was not just telling them to go run when he was hiding. He was the one leading. In fact, yeah. on the second charge, I forgot to mention, between the first hill and the second, he forgot to tell his men to come with him and only a handful did. So <laughs> he had to run back and get them. <laughs> oh my god in the middle of like a full on firefight so needless to say by the time the war was over and he came back he was a hero um, everyone heard about these exploits he wrote a quick book and became super duper uh, countrywide famous um, oh my god the, there was a corrupt Republican governor in New York who was on the way out because he was too corrupt to be able to keep going even at that time and uh, that Senator Platt dude who got rid of him earlier said that okay we can use Teddy um, I'm going to be able to manipulate him so I'm going to put him in the governorship but Needless to say, if you think that you can tell Theodore Roosevelt what to do when you put him into a position, it was not going to be that way. No. First of all, to show how different he was, when he got into the governor's mansion, he removed all the billiard tables, like the pool tables, Mm -hmm. and replaced them with wrestling mats. (laughs) He would wrestle quite often while he was doing his, like, daily governor's duties, constantly breaking ribs, dislocating shoulders, while wrestling bare-chested, and and technically still doing governmental business. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of guy he is. Oh my God. So let's mention some of the political philosophy of him since this is a political podcast and not just the cool shit that Teddy Roosevelt has done. Um, oh man, I'm thinking of rebranding this whole goddamn podcast. <laughs> he, Welcome to Teddy Cast. He um, was quite... Okay, so actually that's not true. So Hamilton and Jefferson back in their day had a huge fight over what the power of government should be and how much it should get involved. Mm -hmm. But at the time that they were doing that, capitalism as a force wasn't really around. By the time Teddy was there a hundred and odd years later, capitalism was roaring. It was, industry had exploded. Mm -hmm. The United States was was developing massively and rapidly. But unfortunately, what was happening was is that a handful of very powerful men were consolidating all this 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 wealth and power into themselves. Ah. And what they did to try and double down on their power was to create these things called trusts, um, basically cartels to control the different industries. Teddy seen that and he didn't see it as a good thing. He, he didn't think it was benefiting the people. So what he thought that government could do would to stop the excesses of capitalism, uh, but not just for the sake of helping people, also because he thought that if he didn't do that, there would be revolution because eventually capitalism would be so detrimental to the working class that the communistic thing would happen and they would rise up and there would be a bloody revolution, which he didn't want because he was a rich dude. He would die. Right. <laughs> so this is what he thought would be a good thing to do. So he was against sweatshops, which was apparently a progressive thing at the time as opposed to just common sense. Um <laughs> He was in favour of eight-hour workdays, which unfortunately was not common. He wanted better conditions. He wanted corporation tax, which didn't happen. Uh-huh. And this drove those party bosses absolutely bonkers. They, the, the Republican bosses were in the pockets of these rich dudes. They were essentially just rich dudes who chose politics instead of running running businesses. Uh-huh. Um, so they wanted him out of the governorship. They offered him, to, in order to get him out, Early as well, they put him in as the as the vice presidential candidate when McKinley was running for re-election. Teddy knew that this was what it was. He knew that it was a ploy to get him out of the way because at the time... It was just the, to give him like busy work so he wouldn't interfere. The opposite of busy work because the, pres- the vice president is where you go to die politically. It, at the time, uh. it had zero power. It's not like today where you get to go around and do media appearances and get involved in some policy discussions. The, the vice president was basically just there to keep breathing in case the president stopped. Really? So you're just like yeah. a break glass in case of emergency type position. Exactly. And Teddy knew that. He knew what was going on. But unfortunately at the convention, um, everyone had whipped up the the crowd to vote for him so he he got in and uh right he the only vote against him at the convention was his own which was 
which was like semi like a hum- humble thing that you're supposed to do but also probably no probably very sincere <laughs> yeah so he said fuck it okay I know that this is not going to be good for me politically, but this is the task I've been given. So he took up the campaigning mantle and worked his fucking ass off to get McKinley re-elected. He travelled 22,000 miles, engaging in a new type of campaigning that wasn't really going on at the time. So, like, when Lincoln was campaigning for the president, he sat at home and let other people go around and do the work for them. Because really? that was kind of the way it was done back then, yeah. yeah. And it hasn't, hadn't really changed that much in the 50 years since then. Teddy was not that kind of a dude. He would not be able to sit back and just let these things happen. He went out and he pressed the flesh, shook hands, gave speeches, fucking ran around like a madman, getting everyone to try and get him in. So it worked. Um, and do you think that that's like the established precedent that's absolutely. being followed to this day? Absol- absolutely. Teddy Roosevelt. He was the first one to kiss a baby. Yeah, well, sure. And he was definitely one of the pioneers of that kind of manic campaign style that is what basically what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, back then, it would only start like a month or two before the election as opposed to two years, the way it is yeah. now. <laughs> but yeah, he got in. Someone congratulated him on, on his personal effort to help get the president elected. And he says, please don't congratulate me. This election means my public death. Um, <gasps> someone said, some one of the bosses was like, okay, Teddy, your only duty now is to live for the next four years. Whoa. But what happened was that at the time, um, there were a lot of anarchists rolling around. And anarchism was kind of like the radical Islam of its day. It was the terrorist movement that everyone was terrified. They were like, it was pretty severe worldwide. They were throwing bombs into cafes. They were shooting random as, as politicians. Um, for the sake of the political movement of anarchism, they didn't be- agree with state power. Mm-hmm. And this was their way at lashing out. Uh, an anarchist dude walk up to McKinley, the president, and shot him. Whoa. So when he got shot, he actually recovered quite quickly. The surgeons at the time did their best and he apparently started recovering. And to the point that Teddy was told, it's okay, you can go on a holiday up in a cabin somewhere in upstate New York. <laughs> Teddy's like, okay, fine, I will. Um, when he got there, uh, some messenger boy came running up after him, absolutely out of breath because he's like, the president's nearly dead. You need to come back. The wound had turned septic and oh. he was going to die. So Teddy had to rush down and what happened is... I imagine Teddy was in the middle of fighting a bear when this happened. Absolutely. He probably took the bear with him and the bear was there as he got sworn in. (laughs) He rode the bear into the White House. So what happened was is that all these party bosses that had tried their best to get Teddy Roosevelt out of the way had actually just handed in the presidency because of random circumstance that they didn't predict That's crazy. That's like a House of Cards season finale-esque twist. That's actually where I wanted to end the last episode but I spent too much time talking about him punching cowboys. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. So there you go. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, he, He became president in 1901 I believe it was the turn of the century and it's very appropriate that Teddy got elected because he definitely was a, a, like a, a a new era style politician mm-hmm. um, the world was changing and he was changing with it someone compared him to a steam engine in trousers <laughs> <laughs> a brand new president for a brand new century like I know when I thought it, when I read that first I was like ah, it's funny but also like eh, sex <laughs> <laughs> But they more meant the fact that he just wouldn't stop moving. He wouldn't stop campaigning. Um, He did more than any other president since Lincoln to change what the presidency meant and what it was to do. And there is no doubt that what's going on today is definitely because of him. In a good way or bad way? Uh, Well, we'll get to that later. Right. Um, So we'll just quickly go over what the White House was like when. uh, So the White House had only had old men living in it for quite a long time. I think even Mm -hmm. Lincoln was the last one to have a kid living there. And that was nearly 60 years before that Mm -hmm. or 50 years. Teddy had a whole bunch of young kids and he had no problem with them running around and acting nuts because that's what he liked to do. So sometimes he'd be in a Congress in a meeting with a congressman and his kid would walk in with a snake and just drop it in their laps. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd be like, ah, good stuff. Bully. Fantastic. (laughs) Where He um he would like run around the house pretending to be a bear, like just like roaring and chasing them. Um, and he would he would forcibly recruit visitors to box with him <laughs> when they came in. Like diplomats, uh congressmen, businessmen, whoever. If he felt like boxing, you're gonna to have to box with them. Imagine um, that having to box the president because like, <laughs> you're boxing the president of the United States. You you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, type thing. Exactly. You yeah. Don't, you don't want to punch the president of the United States in the face. But like well, gar- today you would, but that's a <laughs> thing. Theodore Roosevelt though would probably he would punch you even harder for not punching him as hard as you could. Oh man. It actually he had to stop though because he ended up getting blinded at one eye. <laughs> What? Like yeah. permanently? Yeah. So uh, he agreed that it was not a good idea to continue doing the boxing. Um, so he took up jiu-jitsu instead. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he became uh, what was the equivalent of a brown belt while in the White House. Which one's the brown belt? Uh, I think it might. Is it better than black belt? No, nothing's better than black belt, surely. Okay, well then maybe it's just before uh, black belt. Okay. Uh, 
Um, what else did he used to do? He used, he had a quote from then, and said, uh, nothing is more exhilarating than being thrown over the shoulders of a 300 pound Japanese man. I mean, that, as the old saying goes. Yeah. <laughs> he drank, he would drink like steins of coffee constantly to keep him buzzing. Everyone always talks about how Jefferson was like one of the most literary presidents who wrote all these letters and his, his correspondence are still remembered as being great. Jefferson wrote 22,000 letters, which is pretty impressive in a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, Teddy wrote 150,000. I mean, though, but like, were some of them shit? No, no, they like were all constituted a letter. Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, sure, some of them were probably like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> but then other <laughs> yeah. ones were probably like pretty good um, observances on what's going on at the time. I don't know. I didn't read his fucking letters. Come on, Richie. This is a podcast, <laughs> not a book. He uh, would read a book a day, at least one. And if he had a quiet day, he would read three. Jesus Christ. Never stopped talking. But most people didn't mind because normally what he was talking was pretty interesting. I'm sure. He would eat a dozen eggs for breakfast and like apparently just horsed food into him. But because he was so manic and jumping around all the time, he would burn it off. So he didn't gain too much weight while he was actually in the White House. Um, The French ambassador used to warn people because he was actually, he actually quite liked them and was friends with him. But he did (laughs) warn new diplomats. You have to remember, the president is about six years old. (laughs) (laughs) So he was something new for everybody. Yeah, I probably just mentioned this. One of my favorite anecdote about him is that uh, he was on holidays up in his holiday home in uh, upstate New York. Uh, it was by the sea, and they had commissioned uh, an official pleasure yacht for the president, or maybe not pleasure, Ooh. but like yacht for the president to get around in because you know Air Force One wasn't around at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was finished when he was president. So the Navy sailed it up to his house so he could see it when it was ready. And they they harboured overnight just outside the house. There was only a couple of like, and they went to bed to have a sleep so they could be ready the next morning to show it to the president. There was a couple of guys on watch and all of a sudden at five o'clock in the morning, they heard a dunk downstairs. And then like the the noise of a guy climbing up the side of the rope on the side of the boat. And then up popped the president in a swimming suit, like the the stripey ones, (laughs) you know, like those old fashioned Victorian ones. And he's walking around going, bully, bully, delighted. What a wonderful boat. Fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. Oh, and then well. the guys were running around the privates like, oh shit, wake up the captain, wake up the captain. And then by <laughs> the, the president's here. by the time they woke up the captain and he got onto the deck, like fucking fixing his hat and his tie and whatever, getting himself ready to present himself. The president was already back on his rowboat, going back, just shouting, yes, 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 brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he was just a ball of energy. He was so fantastic. I just love these kind of stories. Yeah, that's that's fucking magical that is okay so one of the first things he did which is pretty commendable is that he was the very first president um, early in his in his in his term to host uh, a, an African American for dinner in the White House mm-hmm. at the time you have to remember this is very controversial granted America is still a pretty racist place and they got a lot of problems but back then the KKK was a fully legitimate organization with millions of members um, it was not considered uh, socially unacceptable to be racist Mm -hmm. And it was quite the opposite. He was considered to have done the wrong thing by allowing the Booker T. Washington was the name of the gentleman. Mm -hmm. He was a civil rights and union campaigner. So a lot of people in the Republican Party, these bad bosses that that Roosevelt didn't like, they wanted to make the party more appealing to the white um, Southerners who were only voting Democratic after the Civil War Mm -hmm. just so they could get like some more votes as because the Democrats were also doing pretty well in the North as the immigrants were coming in and they were getting their votes too. So as like a a survival thing, they thought it'd be a good idea. Roosevelt was like, fuck no, that's not a good idea. This is the the Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. We are not going to turn into a racist party. So he tried his best to fight against it. The worst response to hosting uh, Mr. Washington in the White House was a senator, a US senator from South Carolina said that because the president invited that N-word to the White House, it's going to necessitate the killing of Thousands of black men in the South before they learn their place again. What? Yeah. He actually said that on the record. A sitting US senator. Oh my God. That's how disgustingly racist the place was back then. Holy so shit. Theodore was astonished. He did not realise this backlash would happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, he did say, like, the memory of feeling guilt about inviting him for the for the political like reasons and consequences made him... Don't think that about that that made him angry was that he actually felt guilty because he, he did this thing. So then he was like, I'm ashamed that I actually have to think about this kind of the colour of his skin before I would do it again. And unfortunately he ended up not repeating the thing because it was too it was too um there was too much backlash against this. Christ. So as we were talking about it, he could definitely be labeled what, what you would call a white supremacist because he he did believe in the power of what he would call civilized nations dominating other nations. But at the same time he did all these other things that, you know, 
Yeah, this is a complicated man. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. It's very hard and to get an accurate, accurate read on him or well, put him I into mean, any one bucket. For the time, he he was a progressive. Now, he would not be called one. I mean, Lincoln gets the same kind of analysis given to him. So, like, I can totally understand the people who say that you shouldn't give these these white dudes who did some good things too much credit because they still did all, all those other terrible things and had those all, other terrible opinions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to you have to give them some credit because they were the the pioneers of the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for the, the the blocks that they laid, we wouldn't have got to the place where we are today. And still yeah. have so much more work to do. So I mean, who knows what views we have now? They're going to be told we're ridiculously terrible. In yeah, the future. I'm just thinking. I was thinking of that as you were saying it. Like we consider ourselves quite progressive, but mm. what practices do we engage in? Absolutely. Now that would anyway. It's pretty yeah, easy. I think that's 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 a whole separate episode. I think we could do sometime. Well, I mean, very easily. I'm looking at all these technologies and uh, clothing things around me that I know are made by people who are essentially slaves, and we just put it to yeah. the back of our mind and ignore it. <laughs> so yeah, probably those kind of things. Anyway, probably those uh, kind that's of different. So foreign policy. Um, Theodore Roosevelt did quite a good bit, qu- quite a good bit in foreign policy. His main attitude for America at the time was that it should speak softly but carry a big stick. Hmm. Have you heard about that expression before? I've heard about the the big stick metaphor, but the metaphor is that it should be it should be engaging in diplomatic things as much as it can, but it should also have the military power to back it up if it needs it. Right, and that's the best way to do it. And that like that line that he gave is pretty much used constantly ever since as mm-hmm. like a good way for a country to handle itself. So one thing he thought that was pretty much essential was a canal going through Central America to allow easy access between the Atlantic and the Pacifics. It was essential for trade, but it was also essential for making sure that the American Navy could get between its two coasts pretty quickly mm. because it was, a, it was a dual ocean power and it had to be able to buffer itself against the Europeans and then the Japanese and the Russians on the other side. Mm-hmm. So the Panama Canal had been, had been started as a project by the French a couple of decades before but they couldn't really get it off the ground. It just kept on going as a disaster. Mm-hmm. People kept on dying because of malaria and different things. Oof. And they just couldn't get the money properly together to do it. So he engineered a way for America to take over. The problem being that Panama was actually a province of Colombia at the time. Mm. And the Colombians wanted a, a fuck ton of money in exchange for selling the rights. Theodore said, nah, um, I'm just going to support an independence movement in the country instead. Uh, sent a little a little navy ship with a couple of navy soldiers down there, and between that and the Panamanians uh, paying off the Colombian soldiers to leave, <laughs> they, uh, uh, Panama got independence. And um, Theodore recognized it before breakfast one morning when he heard about it. So that was pretty quick, and they got their deal. And he made sure that the the project got as much um, government support as it would need. He actually went down to go and see it, and that was the first time an American president left while left the country while in office. Really? Yeah, to go and see. So he was he went down there to play with the big machines. There's loads of photographs of him working on these fucking huge cranes. Wow! It's actually it's it's kind of hard to think about how impressive that canal is. I mean, the photographs of it just sh- when it's empty show you how titanic a project it was. They dug like a massive river through the earth in the middle of a jungle that was out to kill you constantly yeah. between the snakes and the spiders and the diseases. And they just went there and they did it and he, he, he got it done. And because of that, America was able to become a world power pretty quickly. Yeah. Another big thing that Teddy did um, was he got involved in a fight that was going on between Japan and Russia. So Japan had worked itself up from a pretty low power Asian thingy that could have been colonized, but they managed to turn themselves into into like a proper modern power in their own right. So much so that Russia and Japan were fighting over Korea and uh, who had the right to conquer it. And mm-hmm. it got to a point where it looked like Japan might actually force Russia almost off the Pacific. They might actually go up and conquer all the way into Siberia and those kind of bits. Uh, Teddy seen that and wasn't too happy because although he respected the Japanese for what they did, he in terms of getting themselves together as a power, he also didn't like the idea of Japan being the only other power apart from America in the Pacific. So he sent his Secretary of War, I think it was, Mark Taft, to go and sort it out. They went over, they had a negotiation and they came back and negotiated more in America uh-huh. and they signed the Treaty of Portsmouth, which Russia gave up Korea, but Japan also gave up on demanding that Russia pay for the war that they had fought, which was pretty impressive. He got these two countries yeah. to stop fighting. He had no he had no reason to get involved, but he did. Oh, and is that is that heralded as like a net good thing that happened? Um, 
Mm, kinda, I guess. Like he stopped two countries from fighting. Um, you want to know about peace prize for it? Oh, okay. He, but he did also see he could tell that the Japanese were not going to be satisfied with what they got, and that they were going to keep on grabbing for colonies, which is exactly what happened. Right. And that did lead to World War Two. Like, I mean, everyone thinks that World War Two started in 1939, but that's not really accurate because the fighting that was going on in the Pacific started way before that. Like, I'm pretty sure right. the, like the Japanese just kept on evading and conquering other places until they eventually hit the European powers colonies down further south. So another a great little anecdote about this. Um, we were talking about Alice, his daughter, who's named after his first wife. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time he was in the White House, she was in her 20s and uh, she had a pretty tough life. So she wasn't sure if her father fully loved her, Aww. if he blamed her for what went on um, with her with her mother passing. She always kind of felt like the third wheel of the family, like the extra, because all the other kids were of Edith and, and Theodore and she was kind of on her own. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I'm pretty sure Theodore did try his best to give her that much attention. And it might have actually just turned out that because she spent a good bit of time away from him, she developed differently to the other kids and didn't turn right. into like a, man- a manic little bear like him. <laughs> <laughs> and she was interested in other things. So she ended up becoming kind of like uh, a bit of a rebel. Mm-hmm. So, and um, she became a personality in her own right that the media loved to follow as if like they would follow Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian today. She smoked in public, which women weren't supposed to do at the time. She wore makeup, which women, what? W- women weren't supposed to do at the time. She bet on horse races. She played poker. She carried a snake as a fashion accessory. She <laughs> Wait, raced. Hold on, what? She raced her. Yeah, I know. This is where it gets nuts. She is Teddy's daughter. <laughs> yeah. She raced her dad's car. And uh, when she was told she wasn't allowed to smoke inside the White House, she, she started climbing onto the roof and just sitting there and smoking. <laughs> oh, man. This is Teddy all over. Someone uh, said to Teddy, sir, will you not control your daughter? And he said, uh, well, I can either be president of the, of the United States or I can control Alice. I cannot possibly do both. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. So, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm pretty sure Teddy didn't really mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I he think, seems like he's well down for it. Yeah, he probably kind of respected these little rebellions in his own way. Uh, obviously, yeah. like he probably would have preferred not to have reading about his daughter doing all these nuts things in the papers. But at the same time, he didn't make too much of an effort to stop her. Yeah. Um, then again, thinking about it, that could also just be further extension of his negligence. So maybe I shouldn't give him credit for that. <laughs> Potentially. Um, for some reason, her dad thought it was a good idea to send her on a, on that diplomatic trip to Japan. Mm-hmm. While she was on the train to San Francisco to get the boat, um, she was just stand, sitting at the back of the train shooting guns at, 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 at things that were flying past on the train. <laughs> <laughs> she was... She was. She allowed herself to be photographed wearing a swimsuit, which apparently was a huge no-no. Even though it was like the one hundred percent scuba suit swimsuit at the time that you you could see yeah, no you skin, see, but yeah, oh, you just see ankles. Oh, the ankles! <laughs> oh, the, oh, what a set of ankles they were! And when they were on that trip, she they actually went to China, and the, there was an empress at the time. She decided to get shit faced before they met the empress of China. Nice. She got nice. into an affair with a thirty-two-year-old congressman who was there. At mm-hmm. the time, which is kind of it's kind of dodgy, and he was like a real fucking. You said there was no sexual intrigue. Well, here you go. He was a real he was oh, a real hey. sleaze ball as well. And uh, oh, I bet. at the time, Daft, uh, the Teddy Secretary of War, who would later become the next president, um, mm-hmm. he he thought that the mission of stopping the Japanese from fighting with the uh, Russians was much easier than trying to keep an eye on Alice. <laughs> So we're not going to mention her again because we have to fly on with the rest of Teddy's crazy life. But we'll just sure. mention that whenever Teddy left and uh, Taft took over as president, uh, he banned her from the White House. Oh, really? And then Wilson, who was the next president, also banned her from the White House. Wow. FDR, uh, Teddy's fifth cousin, who became president during World War II, banned her from the White House. Man. And she went on to clash with Joe McCarthy in the 50s. You know, the guy who was... Um, trying to hunt communists and basically just be a proper dickhead around America at the time. Wow. So, yeah, she is She is definitely um, worthy of a biography of her own right. Yeah, that's pretty badass. She is. To be she... banned by so many successive presidents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so back to Teddy. Um, the domestic shit that he used to do at the time. We, we mentioned before that he was in favour of using government to try and stop the ravages of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And the, big, the worst thing at the time was that these huge big things called trusts who were um, capitalistic uh, cartels controlling the different industries. So there was a meat trust, there was a steel trust, there was an oil trust, shipping trust, railway trust, all the trusts for all the different things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ironic to call them trusts because they're the least trustworthy thing to happen. I was going to say, yeah, they Jesus Christ. They should call them 
Untrusts. Untrusts. <laughs> so these untrusts got together to hike up prices to make it harder for consumers. And like, oh, this is really gross shit as well. Like the meat trust used to have no problem with like pumping rancid meat full of salt so it didn't taste as bad so you could still sell it and all these fucking Ooh. horrible things. Oh, it's like proper terrible. So Icky. Teddy's seen it as one of his missions to try and, to try and clamp down on them. Mm-hmm. Um, he understood that they were important, but he just didn't, he, he thought that like, there had to be a counterweight to this capitalism and it was government. Yeah. The problem being that the constitution up until now had been entirely not designed for it. So he just said, fuck it, I'll work around it. The the constitution was written for the people. The people were not made for the constitution, which is a good line. It is a great line. Uh, That's still an argument that's going on today. I mean, um, we talked about the Supreme Court before and how it interprets the constitution and the dominant ideology in the Supreme Court at the moment is that the constitution is technically ahead of the people which is tricky. Mm-hmm. So the first one that he, he tackled was uh, the Northern Railways Untrust, which was owned by J.P. Morgan, who's a famous name even to today. Yeah, why do I know that name? Uh, I'm pretty sure J.P. Morgan is like one of the main accountancy firms, like financial yeah. firms. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it, like he was the first Morgan. He's the one that set that up. Um, so he was actually walking around as a, as a human person and not just the name above a shiny building in, in the financial district. Yeah. Um, so when he heard that Teddy was going to target his company, he's like, whoa, 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 this isn't how it works. If I've done anything wrong, send your man to my man and, and they'll fix it up. Mm-hmm. Um, Morgan was a friend of, of Theodore's dad and was astonished to see this kind of a thing. Theodore was like, nope, uh, I don't want to fix it up. I want you to stop being a bastard. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to legislate around it and try and work around it. Um, he managed to do it actually, and got the uh, got the trains to to spend less. Um, looking through my notes to try and find the name of the law, can't find it. Anyway, the bastard law. The untrusts made trust. Um, the other big thing he did was actually, and just before that, he was involved in a terrible carriage crash that ended up killing his bodyguard and leaving him severely injured, and he ended up um, banging Teddy into a wheel. Yeah, Teddy was severely injured when they, and the, and like it was he was lucky to be alive. Like I said, his bodyguard who was in the car too died. So I do, when I hear carriage crashes, I don't imagine them being like high speed, apparently, like extremely dangerous things. Yeah, apparently Lincoln nearly died in a carriage crash too. Jesus. It may, when I read it, it was called a carriage crash, but it may have actually been like a carriage with a fucking motor on the front of it as well. Uh, but thinking about that, they probably didn't go as fast as actual horses at the time. So either right. way, it was dangerous and yeah. he, he was left severely injured. Unfortunately, it was happening right at the time as another major industrial crisis. So the coal industry was another big uh, cartel trust at the time. And there was big clashes going on between the labour unions who were trying to get a bit of strength for the workers. Mm-hmm. So... It was a horrible, horrible job to work in these coal in these coal mines. It was sixteen hour days. Ooh. It was a constant threat of death by cave-ins and explosions. <sighs> oh, that's terrifying. Oh, I hate that. I'm not a claustrophobic person, but Jesus, just idea of yeah. being underground like that. Yeah. Did they have the whole canary situation too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have to have the canaries and then they'd have to, oh, the canaries dead. Take it out. Oh no, it's okay. It died of natural causes. Oh, the, I would be so terrified. Uh, they got shit I would wages. Need, like, I would need like 50 canaries around me. Just, <laughs> just I would like, just be surrounded What's wrong with that guy? Oh, that's Canary Richie. <laughs> They're just hanging off of me. I would be like, I would be like, um, you know, that crazy lady from Home Alone 2 with all the pigeons. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be with that canaries. with canaries. <laughs> Anyway, um, they got shit wages as well, so they weren't even like properly compensated for this crazy work. There was kids involved in the, in the breaking down of the coal after they dug it up. Jesus! And not only that, but these these coal mines were kind of out of the way on their own, and there was towns built around them, mm-hmm. entirely owned by the companies who marked up the prices and basically hoovered up all the money that these guys were managing to make. So they were fucking coming out with nothing. It was a terrible situation. Motherfuckers! So one hundred and forty thousand men stroke uh, striked stroke <laughs> stroke. <laughs> they went to men had a stroke. Went on a strike. Immediately coal shot up in price. This was around spring that it started and they hadn't fixed it by the time autumn and winter were coming around. Mm. So there was going to be a huge danger, which most of the households of the United States relied on coal to keep warm. Of course. So Roosevelt was like, shit, um, I've I've invented myself as an interventionist president. I'm going to have to intervene. Otherwise, I'm going to get the blame. Mm-hmm. So he forced the, the two sides to come together. The railroad guys were like, no, we are not meeting with the union and we do not want to set this precedent that unions can can make us come to the table. Roosevelt was like, okay, okay. Um, I'm going to send this guy who may technically officially have a job as a railway union rep, but I'm going to send him there as a sociologist. So you have to meet him. <laughs> you can <laughs> they do were that. Like, um, okay, I guess. <laughs> he, he just worked around it. He used a loophole. Nice. Not only that, he also threatened to nationalise the mines and use the army to dig the coal just so he could stop the place from, from freezing. 
Wow. Had to so with these, he's a, he's a very one thing I'll say, but he's a very original thinker. Yeah, like he's a creative problem solver. Yeah, no, he definitely like he as again like he he just just because something hadn't been done before, he didn't see a reason why it shouldn't happen before. He was he was definitely a get shit done first and ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, what's that, what's that expression? It's easier to beg for forgiveness than ask, ask for, for ask for forgiveness than yeah. yeah permission. So he agreed to they get they, he managed to force them to agree to a ten percent pay rise, a nine hour workday, and the coal mines opened up just in time before winter. There was a massive electoral win for the Republicans when it came to the midterm elections, which was pretty decent. So he yeah. came out all around pretty happy. Nice. He started he started to call this domestic policy the square deal. Um, so he thought that it shouldn't just be the few who are benefiting from the from this golden age of American capitalism and, and industry. Um, it everyone should get a bit of this, a bit of the, a bit of the benefit. Mm-hmm. The, the funny thing is, is that he was so popular. That by the time he was coming to actually stand for election in his own rights, when um, McKinley's term that he inherited was was ending, that he uh, ended up getting a fuck ton of money from the trusts, who basically just wanted to stay on his good side because they knew there was no there was no chance of him going anywhere else. Oh wow! But this is also after he got a reelected on a massive landslide, was super happy. He made the biggest mistake of his life. Oh, um, so the precedent the precedent before this was that the president should only serve two terms, mm-hmm. and it was it was there because George Washington did it. He just served two terms. Uh, it, it wasn't law by any means. It was just what was done. So when one when a when a re- journalist asked him, "Are you going to run again?" He's like, "Of course not. I, this this is my second term. I'll have done two terms." Mm-hmm. As he said that, apparently his wife and Alice's daughter visibly flinched because they realized he would absolutely rue that statement. He was young. He loved being the president. Mm. He didn't have to say that. Yeah, he, he eventually ended up saying that I would have cut off my own hand if I could recall that statement. Really? So, yeah, he, he, he regretted it. So, so he would he, have, had he not made that statement, he would have run for a third term. Absolutely. Um, definitely. Like his, do you think his, that would have been well received? It, it happened. Um, Roosevelt too, FDR, who took over in 32, he... Ended up running four terms. Really? People weren't too happy about it, like, because afterwards they did put it into the Constitution that you could only run for two terms, but it was considered kind of okay at the time. It, like, it wasn't necessarily that bad. Yeah. And plus, because he didn't actually run for the first campaign, he inherited it. So he ah. could, that, that could be a quick excuse. He'd be like, okay, well, yeah. I know I served, I, I served three and a half years, but. That was McKinley's, and now I'm now I'm going to get Teddy's two terms. Good old Teddy two terms. <laughs> People would have been happy to do it. It was it was it was a big big mistake. Yeah. So one of the other things that Teddy is very famous for, and I absolutely love him because it's one of my favorite things in the world, is that he set up the idea that the government should get involved in preserving the natural scenery and beauty of the country in terms of national parks, national forests, and oh, all these so and he set up the national areas. park system. He didn't set them up. There were five national parks before he came and they had been set up slowly and like one maybe every couple of decades. He set up five in his time, Like, but he actually worked around it because national parks had to be approved by Congress and Congress didn't like him. Mm. So he would have to work around it by declaring different things. He had the power to declare national forests and he also had the power to declare national monuments, which was supposed to only be for cultural heritage. But he would twist it by saying the Native Americans think that the Grand Canyon is uh, cultural. So that's a national monument now. Can't touch that. Ah. He ended up preserving um, in the United States an area of land equivalent the size of Texas. Wow, that that's huge. It, huge. Huge. Like a slice of Europe, basically. It's fucking yeah. massive. Right. Fair play to him because the preservation that's shown for the national parks in the States is fantastic. It's one of the best like, things about the country. It is yeah. fantastic. Like when yeah. you travel around to them, like I went to a few of them and they're very yeah. well preserved. Yeah. Um, they're very well looked after and even more so, they're very well revered, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It, it kind of forces an appreciation for this wonderful, wonderful part of America, which I love. They definitely keep it as like one of the national treasures that they have. For sure. Um, and a good and reason. Absolutely. And Teddy was the, Teddy was one of the main reasons that that happened. He really introduced that culture into the political classes that wasn't really there before. Nice. The ironic thing is, is that one of the reasons he wanted to do that is because he loved hunting and he's seen that if... <laughs> If, if, all the anim- complicated man. if all the animals died because of indus- industrial pollution, he wouldn't have any more buffaloes or bears to shoot. Oh my God, I'm so conflicted about this guy. So uh, going back to talk about the teddy bear, we did mention in the last episode that um, they were named after him. Uh, he was on a hunting trip in Mississippi while president and they were looking for bears. They couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of his guys went ahead, ended up capturing one, injuring it and tying it down so that... Teddy could walk up and shoot it easily. No. When he came up and seen what they had done, he was livid. He's like, uh-huh. this is disgusting. What have you done to this poor animal? This yeah. is not what I'm about at all. I wanted to like have me versus the bear, a challenge yeah. that you've just tormented this poor creature. He was being followed by journalists. They seen all this. They printed it. People loved him for it. Yeah. And not just that, a, a toy maker 
I think in Georgia, I, I mm-hmm. forgot to write down where, heard about the story and decided to name a stuffed bear that he was inventing the teddy bear. <gasps> no way. And after that, all the little stuffed bears that looked like those kind of dudes were called teddy bears. And that's where it came from. Oh. The funny thing is, he hated being called Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> It's his name. Like, it is 100% his name. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you would never, it, like, I have to tell myself to call him Theodore whenever I'm thinking about it. But yeah, he's Teddy, but he hated it. It's hilarious. Oh, man. Anyway, that's what he, he worked his ass off to get conservation, did all those great things for it. And um, Isn't it so funny how, like, all of the monumental things that he did, but one of the most long-standing parts of his legacy is this little anecdote that now lives on as, like, a stuffed plush toy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah I mean, like, not everyone will know who Teddy Roosevelt is necessarily. Yeah. There's no great movie about him. There's no famous books. There's not all this. Maybe you might half remember him that Robin Williams played him in uh, that movie with Ben Stiller. Can't no, remember. I don't remember that. Uh, oh, oh, you mean like uh, Night at the Museum? Yes. That, yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah. I thought it was That's, like you were mentioning this great biopic or something. No, no, no. There, There is no great <laughs> biopic of him. Um, yeah, but everyone knows a teddy bear and that's really interesting. That yeah. tiny little anecdote. That's where it came from. Oh. So... He did all this, he did all these things, but unfortunately, as I said, because he he fucked himself over by saying he wouldn't run again, he had to leave while he was still young, super popular, and he was massively depressed. Uh, So what Teddy did when he got depressed was fuck off somewhere and have an adventure. Yeah. (laughs) This time he went to Africa. He went on an 11-month expedition sponsored by the the Smithsonian Museum. Christ. (laughs) Before he left, J.P. Morgan said in the papers that he hoped every line does its duty. Wow. And and eats him. They killed a lot of animals when they were over there. I am sure. 512. What? 512 over 11 months. Elephants, uh, rhinos, lions, birds, emus, all that fucking, all all the poor creatures died. Oh my God. In defence, because there was actually some criticism at the time at the sheer scale of of animal death. Yeah. He he tried to defend himself by saying, not a single creature went to waste. Every single thing that we killed was either used as a museum specimen or as meat. He actually ate the heart of an elephant when he was there. Of course he did. And gained its power. <laughs> he probably already had the elephant power. Yeah. Jesus um, Christ. So yeah, he finished the tour. Uh, he actually, after the African thing, he did a tour of Europe where he was received by the heads of the European nations as if he was still the president. Got like royal welcomes everywhere. Mm. Um, while he was there, the King George, the whatever, died in England. And he was asked to be the US representative at the funeral. So he's like, okay. But yeah, the I end bet of you it, though he rocked up to Europe wearing an elephant's head as a hat and he just like, <laughs> they felt they had to treat him this way because otherwise he'd go bonkers on them. Well, now that you say that, actually, he said that by the end of the, di- of the time he had spent so much time that royalty that if I met another king, I will bite him. <laughs> <laughs> Actual quote from the former president. Good Lord. When he came back to America, um, he wasn't too happy at all. He unfortunately had seen that his buddy Taft, who he had uh, given his blessing to take over as the Republican candidate and and was elected president, that he wasn't um, enacting all the policies about like reform and square dealness that he thought would happen. Oh, so Taft pretty much switched back to the traditional Republican thing of being massively corrupt and helping the businesses. Um, at the detriment of people. Ah. So he wasn't happy at all. Um, he used to give speeches. He kept on giving out about different child labor things. And eventually he said, I'm going to actually challenge you, uh, Taft. I'm going to I'm going to try and run against you for the Republican nomination. <gasps> really? Yeah. In 20, 1912, I believe. Yeah, it was Wait, When you said, uh, I'm going to challenge you, I just because of the picture <laughs> yeah, you painted of him. Yeah, I thought he was like, he had a, he, an unfurled a wrestling mass. Well, Teddy would you? love that because Taft was a big fat idiot who had like no strength at all. He was like massively obese. The photographs of him are ridiculous. Really? And even some, I've seen some film footage of him waddling around the place. So Teddy would have kicked his ass. <laughs> his hunting instincts would have come in. <laughs> There's an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> what ho, bully! What ho! <laughs> you have to remember that Theodore was like a fucking. He was an aristocrat. He definitely made those kind of noises. Oh, that's Aha, yes, yes, go yes, yes, yes. <laughs> those kind of things. So Taft was furious because his, his, basically his friend had stabbed him in the back and was trying to take his presidency off him. Mm-hmm. Um, all the bosses were against him. Um, Hearst, William Randolph Hearst was a newspaper baron at the time. Um, have you seen Citizen Kane? Uh, yes. He, he Citizen Kane basically is modelled on Hearst. Um, so Hearst was kind of jealous of Teddy because he was able to be a popular politician, whereas Hearst wasn't. So he I tried think- to use... 
I think um, her, you know Chris Hardwick. I think he's married to one of the Hursts now, Lydia Hurst. No way. Yeah, one of the living descendants now. She's an actress, I believe. And no wonder he gets to just sit around making podcasts all the time. That's what that's that's <laughs> what we got to do, Richie. <laughs> we just got to marry some rich descendant some, of a baron. Yeah. Um. So between all these things stacked against them, Teddy still managed somehow to win the primary uh, process of the Republican nomination. Ah. But the problem is, is that the party bosses were so against them, they engineered the nomination uh, process in the convention to take it off him and give it back to Taft. No way. Um, he was furious. Teddy was furious. He was Naturally. like, this is the bosses had sided with the oligarchs and and now I'm, I'm sitting here. So he said, fuck it. All you progressives in the Republican Party who agree with me, come with me. I'm going to run as an independent and set up what was called the Progressive Party to try and get himself elected president. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the split happened specifically, where the Republicans stopped being anyway kind of a progressive left-leaning party and just became the party of big business because Teddy, he, he, he oh, ripped... He, so he purged from it the, the, yeah. all those progressive elements. Well... It wasn't just him because they basically purged him and forced the, the progressives to back Teddy. Right. So maybe if Teddy hadn't gone off and decided to run as an independent, which is a, which I guess they didn't expect to happen, um, or at least not to be taken seriously, maybe they would have stayed with them. But anyway, that didn't happen. Hist- as, as history happened, he was able to take the progressives. And I guess after that, some of them trickled back to the Republicans, but I guess most of them looked at Democrats and seen that as a more appropriate thing. Or then when his, his fifth cousin, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, ran for president, on pretty much the same platform as Teddy before the Democrats, they seen that as the place for them to go, mm. and that's 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 where the today's split that's started. Fascinating. So at the time, there were four prominent candidates, which was really rare then and now. There was Taft, the sitting Republican president. There was mm-hmm. Wilson, the Democratic nominee. There was Teddy, who was running um, as a progressive, but his party was actually called the Bull Moose Party because <laughs> when they said, "Are you able to run?" He's like, "Of course, I'm as strong as a bull moose." <laughs> And there was also an out-and-out, full-on socialist who was running, a a dude called Eugene Debs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the four of them were battling to win the presidency. Teddy ended up becoming very left-wing. He was in favour of social security, women voting, campaign finance restrictions, uh, judges not being able to overturn laws that were popular with the people. All these crazy things are very socialistic and populistic. Mm -hmm. He, He actually said, I'm friendly to the kind of socialism of which you speak, sir, but utterly against the kind published by Mr. Debs. So he was kind of saying that, like, I'm okay with some things being socialist, but not, I don't want socialism. Yeah, you don't want blanket socialism. Which is kind of like what uh, Bernie Sanders was saying these days. Mm-hmm. Which was, yeah. That's fascinating. So, anyway, a little anecdote from the campaign is that when he was in Milwaukee going up to give a speech, a German immigrant walked up and shot him. Um, the German immigrant was a psycho who thought that the ghost of McKinley, who, who Teddy took over from, ordered him to shoot Theodore. Um, the, the bullet hit him in the chest, broke a rib, and went into his body. But impact was stopped by a case that had his glasses and 50 pages of notes that he had on his chest. No way. But it still was inches away from his heart and was inside his person. Um, He wasn't knocked out. He wasn't even incapacitated at all. The crowd grabbed the guy who shot him and were about to batter him to death and force him into whatever confinement. But he said, no, no, I want to confront him full on. Why did you shoot me? Wow. The, The guy didn't answer. Um, he's like, okay, right, fine, take him away. So then the doctor had a look at him. Theodore goes, hang on, doctor. Coughed forcibly, like, <coughs> into his own hand. Didn't see any blood and goes, no, it's okay, I can give a speech. What? Gave a 90-minute speech. Show- showed the crowd that he had blood on his shirt. Started to say, I'm going to have to give a short speech because I don't have my notes because the bullet damaged them. <laughs> But he ended up talking for 90 minutes before he was eventually asked to go to hospital, begged to go to hospital by the people who were with him. I'd love by the end of it, like he's just speech, speaking gibberish because he's lost so much blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually thinks he's a bull moose and just starts going. So the doctors had to leave the bullet in him because it would be too dangerous, they thought, to operate to try and take it out. Whoa. He recovered quite well, but at the same time, it left him unable to exercise as thoroughly as he was before. Right. And and as we've established, that was like one of his modus operandi. He was quite unhappy with that. Yeah. And he ended up gaining a fuck ton of weight and ended up ended up looking pretty fat by the end of it. So the ends of this election, unfortunately, what happened was, is that Teddy ended up splitting the Republican vote and he split it between himself. He beat Taft, which is massively impressive. Yeah. To beat, like one of the main two parties. But Wilson was able to run home with 42% and won the election. Afterwards, Theodore was again left in one of his depressions. So can you guess what he did? Ran off into the mains, fought some lions. 
Uh, yep, this time we decide to go to South America to explore a new tributary of the Amazon. Of course. Deep in the forest. Of course. Uh, it was a bit of a smaller expedition compared to Africa because it's just so fucking dangerous to take that many people into like what is still now today one of the most dangerous places in the world. Yeah. Um, because he was shot but he survived, do you think you developed an immunity to bullets? Like, you know, when you get a, a, a an ejection that gives you a small amount of a disease and you build immunity to it? It's certainly possible. He was never shot again. <laughs> there, exactly. That I know so he was invincible. Yeah. When he went, his, he took his son with him, uh, Kermit, and, but unfortunately this expedition was a disaster. They ran out of food. There were men fighting over food who shot each other and ran into the jungle. Oh, Jesus. Um, the natives were, were stalking them and threatening them by killing their dogs. Um, some men were drowning. Um, at one point, loads of canoes with supplies were about to get smashed into some rocks. So Theodore jumped into the water to try and save them. But as he was jumping in, he ended up slicing a huge gash in his leg. <gasps> oh, Jesus. And uh, and because like you're in the Amazon rainforest where having an open wound is pretty fucking dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, it nearly killed him. It sent him into, into delirious uh, fevers. At one point, he was telling his son Kermit to, to leave him behind. Oh. Um, but Kermit wouldn't let him. So the only reason, and he, he had a couple of bottles of morphine that he was thinking about just swallowing and, and overdosing and dying. But the only reason he didn't do that because he was convinced that if he did that, Kermit was just going to try and drag his body back and that would make Kermit have to struggle more and put his life in danger. So the only reason he didn't kill himself was to st- save his son. Oh my God. This, this is beautiful. His, this is in his diet. Beautiful and psychotic. <laughs> yes, yes. Like he basically wanted to be able to carry his own body so his son didn't have to carry his body for him. Yeah. Uh, so they had to perform like an ad hoc surgery, but he, he never fully recovered. It left, it, it aged him by visibly by decades. Of course. But he, uh, even though the expedition was a disaster, the Brazilians ended up naming uh, that, that bit of the river after him. And so now there is a Roosevelt River in Mato Grosso no in Brazil. And That's in, beautiful. In Brazilian Portuguese, you pronounce it Roosevelt. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so he got back to America and World War One was just starting to spark up at the time. Teddy, being the fucking psychotic warmonger that he was, was all for the US throwing itself in. He was mad at Wilson. He was mad at, at the American people for not being mad at Wilson and wanting to get in. But anyway, America eventually did get involved in, in 1917. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he told all of his sons that they had to do their duty and go and sign up. Um, it fucked up quite a lot of his sons fighting in the trenches. Um, they, I'm sure. Some of them got quite badly wounded. Um, his youngest son, Quinton, was a pilot and uh, he died in a dogfight. Um, and that kind of broke Teddy. He, he, it's, it's really weird. So before he was telling all his sons they had to go and do their duty, do this and that. He wouldn't respect them if they didn't. But then when one of them went ahead and did it and died in war that he sent them to, it's almost as if he suddenly realized that these actions he was, he was doing had consequences when his, when his son was dead. Yeah. It, it, um, it left him pretty, left him pretty burned up. And, uh, between that and the injuries that he had from the Amazon, uh, expedition, he died, um, I think in 1918. Wow. So yeah, Jesus Christ, what a what a story for. I think he died quite young. I must say, I think he was in his late fifties, yeah. early sixties. Um, Christ, Jesus, he lived a life that you know, seen so many things, did so much. I can totally see why you wanted to do a special on this guy, and also, more importantly, why he's so special to you. Because as long as I've known you, like you've always brought him up and mentioned him, and I can see why now. It used to be that um, when I was in college studying, um, we did political leadership for one module and um, we were doing uh, presidential uh, like president's ranking polls yeah. which is like a fun little quirky thing to see how popular people think leaders are mm-hmm. but also has like proper academic intrigue to find, try and find out why leaders are popular and he was always like nearly up on the top and if you look at it he's, he complained himself that he didn't con- consider himself a great president because he had no great crisis there was no war mm-hmm. there was no great disaster he solved out a couple of like things that would be run of the mill things for contemporary presidents in terms of disasters but he, he didn't but at the same time he's still remembered as being one of the most important fantastic presidents there was and I just wanted to know why yeah. so I threw myself into reading about him and watching documentaries and holy shit does he have the life to back it up yeah that's fascinating I, I do. do you feel like there's there's um, there's more to this story that we haven't touched on here like big major chapters that we kind of skimmed over in the interest of time like are there things you want to point listeners to uh, I don't th- <laughs> we got we got the bones absolutely but of course like I listened to eight hours of doc of podcasts of dudes talking. There are three one thousand word books about his life, mm. um, written by Edmund Morris. I think the name of the writer is. They're fantastic, actually. If you want to read more and have a look, um, the best thing I can recommend is there's a documentary by Ken Burns, the dude I was talking about before. Yeah. Um, he made one about the whole Roosevelt family. So it starts off with Theodore, goes on to talk about Franklin Delano, who was his fifth cousin, mm-hmm. uh, one of the famous Roosevelts, and then his niece, uh, Theodore, who married um, Franklin to be like a closer link between the two. And the first... Th- Eleanor. Eleanor. Um, the first three 
episodes of that documentary are almost all entirely by Teddy because obviously he was the big dude when they were young. Right. And uh, it, it's it's a fantastic documentary and really gives you an image of what he was like. And plus you get to see uh, proper live action footage of him like making speeches and stuff, which is pretty cool. Amazing. Um, Amazing. I like, I mean, I recognize that he had problems. I don't like that he set the precedent for America to be an imperialistic warmongering power. That wasn't good. But all the other good things that he did, that he was so progressive and so in many other ways, you will give him credit. I don't think he's the best president. I think Lincoln deserves that title, but he's definitely my favorite. Yeah, I can I can totally see why. I can totally see why. Thank you for sharing that. That was that was amazing. Thank you for letting me. <laughs> best birthday present ever. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, actually, what wait, I'll do for my birthday now. Just before we go, I want to read out the quote, the, the best quote that most people conclude um, analysis of him with, um, just because it is, so, it is so good and it, and it sums up what he's about. So it's quite long, but Bear with me. Go for it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of great achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get something on a poster and stick it on your wall for motivation, that has to be it. That that just sums up the guy completely. Get action. Go out there and do it. It's There's no point in just sitting around complaining about shit. If you actually want to try and do something, just go and do it his life he proved that 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 that's exactly what he believed in and that's what he did i think if they do make a movie <laughs> like a big biopic about this guy it should be called teddy's rough riders colon get action <laughs> that shit would sell like hotcakes yeah you could definitely make a movie about that it sounds like the sexiest romp ever <laughs> grand so what I'm keeping you sane this week, Richard. What I'm keeping, what I'm keeping me sane. Um, so I've been listening to a couple of new podcasts um, about cybersecurity. Cool. I've been getting really, really into cybersecurity just as a subject. I think it's fascinating, and I think it's only going to become more fascinating and more relevant as time goes on. Both on like a global political scale, like you, you hear always hear about stuff like Russia and China hacking scandals yeah, um, and interference with elections and whatnot, but also on like a much smaller scale, um, stuff like ransomware and um, a whole bunch of other, other practices that kind of are becoming more and more prevalent. And it's a pretty good subject to get some degree of literacy on because it could stand to benefit you greatly. You know, it's not, it's a simple thing to prepare yourself against, um, but you just need to know a couple of things like best practices in terms of, you know, connecting to public Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. So are you, so I, are you saying that what's keeping you sane is that you're becoming like a paranoid? Um, yeah. Well, so what's keeping me sane is my collection of tinfoil hats that I've been working <laughs> on over the past. <laughs> I'm combining origami and tinfoil. Whatever works. Uh, whatever works, man. Available now at whatonpolitics.com. No. Uh, I've been listening, so I've listened to two podcasts. The first one's Hackable and the second one is IRL. Cool. Um, they're both from, um, they're not like independently produced. Hackable, I think, is a division of McAfee, um, the antivirus guys, and IRL is a Mozilla production. Oh. Mozilla, the, the guys who do Firefox. But they're, they're, they're really good. They're really well produced and they're very good at um, giving you the grounding you need in cybersecurity and how to protect yourself and also you know just like like some of the big issues and how to prepare for them um they're really good i'd recommend checking them out i, I also want to do an episode on cybersecurity for this podcast so this is kind of yeah me getting familiar with it um what about you steve what's keeping, uh, me, sane? What's keeping me sane is speaking about like uh, parks being preserved and that kind of thing dublin i think is very lucky in that it has a lot of green space and oh yeah i am very lucky in that i live nearby to one of the best parks in the world um mm-hmm. so phoenix park in dublin is the most famous one because it is the largest walled park in any city I think mm-hmm. apart from Central Park, so probably the second biggest in Europe, second biggest in the world. And mm-hmm. um, nearby me, though, is one on the, on, on the east of the north side called St. Anne's Park, which oh, Saint Anne's. used to be the, uh, it used to be like the house owned, it used to be the gardens of the house owned by the Guinnesses. 
So mm-hmm. it's like this huge fucking park. It's it's big. I don't actually know the square the square kilometerage, but it is big. Yeah. And um, I am very lucky to be able to take my Labradoodle out there in the mornings. Aww. I love going in the mornings because it's quiet, and they actually let you take the dog off the leash, so he yeah. can just run around as as he feels fit. And there's just so many random things all across that little park. There's like a couple of streams going through it. There's like little forest bases, football pitches, open spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little skate park, isn't there? There's a little skate park. There's like a fucking uh, what do you call the 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 BMX bike where you're flying up hills and stuff. There's one of those. Uh, there's like a little. Pipe? Uh, no, there's like dirt. I don't know. Anyway, Red Bull TV kind of shit. <laughs> and there's a there's like a little RC <laughs> car park racing track. Um, no way. There's a dog park specifically for dogs to go in and hang out together. Oh. Um. But the favorite thing about it though is when you go off these like main tracks, there's like loads of side bits, and there'd be like a little a little castle or a little bridge or a little something that was built by the Guinnesses and they were called vanities when they built them back in the day mm-hmm. um, because they're just like little random things that they were rich and they could build in their park. And I just love it. I love being able to go out there every so often and just like fucking feel like you're not in the middle of a city. Nice. Yeah. And I just I just realized this week when I was walking the dog quite often um, that I'm, I'm kind of blessed to have that so close to home. So I wanted to give that a shout out because it does very much help me keep Oh, safe. that's beautiful. Yeah, St. Anne's Park is a really special place. Um, cool. Do you want to do a listener shout out? Uh, yeah, sure. We'll go for one. Sweet. Yeah, uh, we'll do it quick. Um, Harrison Anderson, I want to give a shout out to him. He's from Illinois, uh, but is currently living in California. Illinois, whenever I write down Illinois, I just, it doesn't look right. Illinois. You know, when you go to Illinois. Illinois. Anyway, yeah, but he's a big fan of the show. Um, and would you believe it, Steve? He actually would consider himself alt right. Oh, no. I'm kidding. He's a big liberal hippie like us. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I felt bad for saying that because obviously he's open to other views. He would have been open to other views if he was listening to us, but no, fuck. <laughs> he's exactly <laughs> the kind of person that you'd expect to listen to us liberal gobshites. Basically, yeah. Uh, he's, he's very politically active. Um, like I said, left-leaning cool. in, his, in his interests. Uh, you can find his political musings on, it's pokestreetpoll.com. Um, I think he lives on Polk Street in San Francisco. And That's a cool name. Blog where he, yeah, it's, it's a really good name. Um, what's your favorite thing about Harrison? Uh, I love that he didn't actually name uh, Polk Street blog after Polk Street. He actually named it because he loved to walk around and poke people constantly. And, uh, yeah, it's, and it's, in, in San Francisco, he's known as the poker, which is a dangerous name to have in San Francisco. But it is it is only specifically because he walks up and pokes you. With what, though? No, no, no. Nothing weird. His fingers. Come on. Jesus. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Keeps it clean. Keeps it clean. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about Harrison is if you see him, he's got this very rich, luxurious beard. Incredibly thick and shiny. Uh, but whenever he shaves it off, um, Lady Gaga pays for him to send the <laughs> trimmings to her. And she fashions it into whatever um, particularly audacious garment she's wearing that week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's Harrison. <laughs> so that's, that's... If you notice a guy who's walking around with a recently trimmed beard that Lady Gaga may be wearing, poking you. That's that guy. <laughs> that's, that's Harrison. Good right. stuff. Thank you, Harrison. Uh, keep listening. And folks out there, please tell your buddies, your friends, your grannies, your mothers, your sisters, your dogs, anyone who wants to listen to it, to mm-hmm. uh, a quirky podcast made by two Irish guys who have no right to talk about politics but still do. Yeah. Um, let them know. If you want to let strangers know, tweet about it, Facebook it, um, leave, go on to iPodcasts. Is that what it's called? Apple Podcasts. I... I- <laughs> podcast Apple podcast not iTunes yeah. and uh, leave mm-hmm. us a review because that really helps mm-hmm. it really does it Go really, really really does uh, Facebook Twitter at Modern Politics uh, leave us a voice message if you want to correct us if you know a lot about Theodore Roosevelt and I miss something please tell us I will definitely want mm-hmm. to know that's it cool are we done yep this was a lot of recording two episodes back to back yeah but Jesus, it was worth it. He's a cool guy. Yeah, I'm not going to go talk to you for another two weeks now because I've gotten, I've well, gotten my fill of Steve. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to talk to anybody either. Nah, that was very me. I, I, I talk to you every day and I love it, Steve. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Fuck you, Richie. I'm hanging up now. Bye. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Now I'm alone. <laughs>